Hello, everybody. Hope you are great. Uh, just wanted to say a massive thank you to everybody that listens to us and everybody that supports us. We really, really appreciate it. Just wanted to ask you a small favor. If you could scroll down below this podcast on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcast, and there should be a little box that has a five-star um, ranking and a little review box. If you could leave us a rating five stars hopefully, and a nice little review. It just helps us to push up the ranks um, and get our message out there to more people, inevitably helping us to fulfill the purpose of this podcast, which is to help as many people as we can. And if you don't like us, uh, don't worry about it because we don't want your review, bugger off. No, just joking. We love you too. Keep listening. And also for anyone that's listening to this that might be struggling with addictive patterns or knows someone that is struggling with addictive patterns, we run a treatment program called Connection Based Living um, where we help people to transform out of addictive patterns without going to rehab. So if that's of interest to you um, or you think it might help someone that you love, feel free to get in contact with us at www.connectionbasedliving.com.au. That's www.connectionbasedliving.com.au. And we'll be happy to uh, chat to you and help you in any way that we can. All right, into the show. Okay, in today's episode, we have Shanna Wan uh, from Sober in the Country. Uh, I'm pretty sure that name pronunciation is right. Don't kill me if it's not, Shanna. Um, look, it was an awesome episode today and I was really excited to um, have this chat and this conversation because Shanna is the founder and CEO of Sober in the Country, which is a national charity, and they're really making waves at the moment and really facilitating a very, very important conversation in Australia um, at this present time, which is around alcohol issues in rural areas um, and everything that encompasses that. Uh, so yeah, it was great to have Shanna on the show. Um, she's done loads of media. They have a massive social media following. Um, if you are rural and in the country, have any alcohol problems, go and join in their stuff. Really helpful. Um, and just get behind the cause. You know, we talk a little bit about their merch and everything that they're doing at the end. Get behind them. Um, they're doing great stuff. So it was an awesome conversation and hope you enjoy the interview. Right, boom. Welcome everybody. Uh, another episode today. Now I am totally pumped because today we have Shanna, like Anna. Uh, I'm making sure I get that right. <laughs> um, Shanna from Sober in the Country, uh, who is the founder and director of, um, and you guys are a registered charity now, is that right? Yeah. Oh, how cool. Seven months already. Yeah. And uh, so cool. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually really excited about this um, interview because We've been trying to um, hook it up for a while and uh, Shanna is so busy because she is an absolute superstar and is flying. She's been on Australian Story um, and does has a huge social media following actually and is really kind of starting to make ripples and waves in, in the space, which is so good because it's something that we really need. And I just think it's really important because I was saying off air before we started, you know, I've got family from the country and I have a small kind of insight into what they go through with isolation at all times and um, drug and alcohol use and stuff like that and have helped those family to, yeah, kind of get into recovery and stuff. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to chat about it. I think it's going to help a lot of people. So how are you, mate? 
Oh, also excited. And thank you for bearing with me on my three reschedules, you beautiful patient human. <laughs> it's, um, it's, yeah, it's an honor to be here and I'm awesome and I can't wait to delve in and just smash this with you. <laughs> grouse, grouse. Okay. Um, so I always like to start off, I know it's hard. Give us the three minute snapshot of your story and, and how you have kind of got into this whole space. I love that because otherwise you'll have three hours worth. So, <laughs> <laughs> mate, honestly, yes. Um, basically, as anyone who watched Australian Story would know, I'm just a uh, and I will always proceed any interview I do with this. Yep. I'm a garden variety recovered alcoholic yep. who shares a story that is common to people all over the globe, all over Australia, and indeed all over rural Australia. Yeah. Um, what I did was I created a national charity off the back of my own experience of nearly dying um, you know, dying from this invisible bloody disease in front of the eyes of my mates. Yeah. So five yep. and a half years ago, I had the old metaphorical cliched rock bottom, mm. woke up in an emergency department after yet another accident, after yet another blackout drinking session. And I knew if I kept drinking, I would die, is the yep. very long and short of it. And I was actually suicidal. And I probably at that stage, I would describe it to people that I didn't, want to live but I didn't really want to die I was stuck in hell on earth hell mm. on earth anyone who has been there knows that feeling it is just absolute hopelessness and despair shame everything you can think of um miraculously I was able to go on and make a complete recovery and I now refer to myself as a recovered alcoholic meaning mm. I no longer think about want need crave obsess over alcohol it's irrelevant to me i don't care yeah um i would never pick up a drink again mind you because that would be insanity yeah <laughs> but i don't want to and that's why i'm so passionate about passing on the message of recovery to people who are in that space of hell who don't know it can be overcome so hmm. with with rural australia as you know very well we have got an extra whole bag full of barriers to getting support when it comes to addictions. And then another level of complexity there is my demographic, which is yeah. hardworking men and women in the bush who are either on properties or farming or they have a business or they're self-employed like I was and they're kind of getting up and showing up through drought and flood and disaster and just doing it and doing it and doing it again. But when they identify and recognise they need a hand and they stick their hand up and ask for it, it's not there. Yeah. You know, and as somebody who had to kind of save my own life with no help, no support, no one to relate to, no option for anonymous meetings because we know if they don't work in a tiny town. Yeah. I just, I was just astonished at the lack of options for a person like me. So I created Sober in the Country to fill this whopping dirty great big gap mm. because as you know as well jack um everyone oh look anyone who works in addictions knows that a hell of a lot of our government funding and awareness and frontline work is focused on the catastrophic end stage stuff yeah so and that's important by the way that's essential however our foundational quote on the website says there comes a time where we've got to stop pulling people out of the river and we need to go upstream and find out why they're falling in Love and it. that is, yeah, it's a beautiful quote, eh? That's, that is the foundational quote because that is what Sober in the Country is about. 
there is already enough focus on the catastrophe and the rehab and so many areas of addiction, but nobody looks at the invisible, hardworking, overlooked demographic of rural and remote Aussies. So that's my passion and that's why I created the charity. Love it. So Sorry, that was longer than three minutes. <laughs> no, no, that's good. We already have lots to talk about. So for, for anybody listening, you know, I recommend that you jump on to the YouTube channel after this and have a look because the thing that automatically strikes me with you, Shanna, is, um, and, and I don't know if this was the same when you were in full flight drinking, but you, you, you just look like an everyday Australian. You don't look like, inverted commas your typical kind of alcoholic that's yeah. you know sleeping rough or something like that so um it's so cool that you've set up the charity in that way because look I, I don't know exactly but is that a lot of what you guys see or the stories that you hear from people you know engaging in sober in the country yep absolutely um and as i said in australian story and as i will refer to frequently on our social media i'll say I literally, I, it never occurred to me that I was a raging alcoholic. Mm. I didn't drink every day. I didn't drink during the day. I had a nice haircut and a mortgage and a little SUV and all the things that meant, according to the world, that I was okay. Yeah. I was not okay. I was, I was a high-functioning, successful, and I say that with very large quotation marks, <laughs> happy slash confident businesswoman by day and a yep. derelict in my home by night. Yeah. Like I literally was living a double life. Um, and, you know, in the 70s or whenever the hell it was that advertising became a thing, we were sold a lie that alcohol was awesome and we were sold a lie that you were only an alcoholic if you were down and out in the gutter yeah. drinking from a scotch bottle in the morning. Yeah. And um, that, that insidious little lie is still driving conversations today. And that's why people like me will say to their mates, no, I'm not an alcoholic. I work. I don't drink every day. And I only drink after five o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> and so when I started using my lived experience as a raging undercover alcoholic, uh, I brought in my journalism skills and my <laughs> trademark brutal honesty. Yep. <laughs> and do you know how I've cracked this bloody thing open, Jack? I do it by throwing myself under the bus. Yep. I just use my own story. Um, because I don't speak in judgment about anyone ever. I just say, for me, this is what it looked like. This is what it was like. And I know that's going to resonate with half the bloody country. Yeah. But no one wants to hear it because it's uncomfortable and it's difficult and it's confronting. Yeah. But if you're the person using yourself as an imperfect example of what it can look like, it's much easier for people to go, oh. And, you know, so suddenly people are going, do you know what? That actually could have been me. Yeah. So it's, it's everyone who is a member of our private support peer group and who follows our socials is a person who gets that now. They totally finally understand that we're there to look at that little space that no one. Yeah. yeah. Love it. Love it. So um, I'm really keen to talk about some of those specific country issues and, and how uh, you actually operate with sober in the country and uh, I guess how you, how you help. It's really cool. So, but I, I want to just kind of focus on, cause there was a couple of things that stood out to me when you were just talking about your story, um, which I want to hear a little bit more about as well. But one of the things that we're really passionate about with this show and the reason why we're doing it is that we kind of, yeah, like you're saying, we want to raise awareness about, um, addictions and recovery um, and 
I guess, push the envelope with it a little bit and try and change the paradigm. So, so one thing that you said there was that you're a recovered alcoholic, which I love, right? Um, and, but that's probably not what the majority of people would say that are in, in recovery. So um, do you want to, do you want to talk us through that and, yep. and the thinking behind it? And, and oh, your- mate, can I just tell you, it's it, that one puts the cat amongst the pigeons. Every <laughs> Um, and it's interesting. I'm working with an amazing lady for a book that will be coming out at some stage because everyone keeps telling me I have to do that. And I, I agree. Again, the more people I can help, I'll just keep going. Yeah. But it's really funny. That's the first thing she asked me. She said, you know, people are going to come out of the woodwork over this. And I said, mate, they've been coming at me for six years about it. Yeah. So here is the qualification. Um, for me personally, right, when I, were, when I first walked into recovery, mm. I thought I would always be struggling, wanting a drink daily, sick, desperate. And if you're a hardcore AA fanatic, Mm. you would know the term, the obsession and the insanity of alcoholism. Yeah. I had that in spades. I was obsessed and I was insane when it came to grog. 100%. Interestingly enough, even those old, you know, sort of stalwart programs like AA will actually speak about being recovered past tense. Yeah. It's actually written in their own info, which is an interesting one. A lot of people don't know that. Yeah. Then they will go on to qualify or clarify that it means being recovered from a hopeless state of mind. Yeah. And that's really what it was like for me. So I also, I refer to it as being in remission in some ways, right? Mm. It's like a remission from a disease. Yeah. So if it was cancer, I would say, yeah, I'm in remission. I've been in remission for six years. I'm healthy and I'm well. Yeah. But if I was to go and start chain smoking a packet of Winnie Gold a day, <laughs> would I probably end up dead? Yes, I would. So that's, for me, being recovered in my mind, and this is my label for me, I don't care what anyone mm. else says, it's none of my business, but for me, this was something that was essential from day dot. If I didn't have hope and if I didn't have something to aim for and to know I could progress from this miserable, white-knuckling, dry drunk who just was a train smash of a human, if I didn't have something to aim for, I thought, what in the hell is the point? I may as well just go and take my own life because that Mm. does not sound like a fun place. Yeah, 100%. You know, so I basically, um, I'm forever at pains to, to clarify that for people and say, Am I stupid enough to think I could ever pick up a drink again? God, no. Yeah. God, no. I would literally be smarter. It would be more effective for me to play Russian roulette. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I know that. So I don't, but the key element of that label for me is that the point is I don't want to. Yeah. I have no desire. And six years later in our house, for example, mm. we have friends who will drop around and occasionally have a beer. My mm. husband will have the occasional drink now, which we obviously worked at together very carefully for a long yep. time to get to that point. I would not do that if I still craved a drink. I would, yep. I'd be insane, you know, to do that. But the fact is, I sort of, it's like you've got gluten-free bread over here and you've got bread over here i i opt for this one and if you have that one whatever great have a nice day it's irrelevant so the 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 alcohol is redundant in my life yeah but i never ever ever stop being vigilant and careful yeah and i've changed everything i don't go to pubs anymore i don't go to clubs i don't go to big boozy events it's just i'm a different person living a different life 
Yeah. And I live it with extreme respect and care in that space. I think it's really interesting because it's something that I've found right as well. And, and I've kind of evolved in my journey too with how I think about things and stuff. But um, I've found when I talk to people is that it just, when you explain concepts like that to them around, mm-hmm. you know, recovered and um, not struggling like for a lifetime with this stuff and that you don't have to, it just, it just, um, makes people kind of go, Oh, I can actually do it. You know, that's what I've found because there's this, there's this sort of narrative that, you know, if you have these addictive patterns or addictions that you're just going to struggle and just be kind of toughing it out for the rest of your life and it's going to be hard work. And then, you know, people kind of go, well, why would I get sober? You know, why do I want to do it? Cause it's not the case. You can actually, nope. you can yeah. actually live free and yeah. contentment and you know, all that stuff. You know, and again, if you want to relate it to the old traditional century old, you know, combos like within AA, which by the way, there's heaps about AA that I respect and admire. Yeah. There's some things I don't agree with. So I do what they suggest, which is take what I need and leave the rest. Yeah. Um, But within AA, you know, they speak about that being joyful, happy, free. And I am all of those things. I have been, and this is why I think what I have found, Jack, and I don't know if this is something you've experienced. I know people who are 30 years without a drink mm. who are not okay and they're still, right. they're still terribly miserable people craving a drink. I, I can't think of a worse fate than yeah. that. I know people who are three years who have been set free from day one. Yeah. So to me, there are shades of grey and I, I really, one thing I struggle with in the whole sobriety um movement, whatever you want to call it is, there are some people who get so hell-bent on labels and definitions Mm. and their way is the only way that they would rather create a world more than just get on with the business of discussing the joyful (laughs) possibilities. So it's really funny. Like this is why at the the heart of Sober in the Country, one one of our messages is, you know what? We don't believe there is one size that fits all. We don't care what you do and how you do it. We just care that you know there's a way out. Yeah. And we'll try and help you to find options to get you on your merry bloody way. Yeah. <sighs> no, I, I completely agree. It's really funny. It's, it's, it's quite a, it does happen a lot um, and it's quite a normal, it's like a human, it's just something that humans do. You know, it's the same yeah. with like religion. Yeah. If you look at the, buttery essence of religion it's good stuff you know what i mean live well do right to your neighbor all that stuff but then when you start to kind of bring the institution into it and all that it becomes more about that it's the same with like this recovery stuff people forget about being what's the nature of recovery well it's to be happy to change your life to feel at peace you know all that stuff so and and look we i as the ceo i get up at five o'clock every morning and i come to work and i I carry the, I carry the weight of this mm. with all of the professionalism and seriousness and respect in the planet, but I loathe fanaticism and I loathe yeah. the dictatorship where people, and we've all seen it, whether it's in recovery or bloody politics, whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah. People will rant and rage and insist someone's wrong unless they do it exactly this way or that way. And I just don't subscribe to that theory. Yeah. I think we're all people. We're all just having a crack at this. And I believe one of the reasons our charity has become so um, uh, well-received in such a 
incredibly tricky demographic is we never come at this stuff from a place of judgment, condescension or superiority. And in fact, you would have seen this, like anytime I'm tweeting or Instagramming, I will always say there is nothing special about me or my story. I'm just a vessel for a message. Love it. Yeah. You know, I, I I cannot stand the word influencer. I can't stand <laughs> the ego that can come in this space. You know, so I'm at re, I'm I'm constantly measuring and, and and ensuring that I just I'm not the solution. I'm not the answer. I'm just one garden variety recovered alcoholic representing a demographic. No one looks at. Take it or leave it. Whatevs. We do what we can with what we have, and you know, it's just it's so important to me to keep that very. It's got to be very. Um, humility is everything in this. And you know that you understand. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very inspiring. Um, So, so one thing that I want to do, because I know people listen to this and, and they're sitting there in the bush or just anywhere in kind of Australia and they, and often people will be listening to this going through their own struggles and they, they really want some, the feedback that we've had, they really want some like practical steps of what did that person do? How did they change? So can you, if you can, I know it can be tough sometimes, but can you take us back to the, the, some of the darker moments, um, how it played out and I guess what was the catalyst for you to shift things around and what you did? Yep. Look, and I, I speak about this constantly. In fact, I think I only posted about it last night. People, yep. people will often say to me things like, God, you must have amazing willpower. <laughs> You're so lucky. Um, and again, I have to bring it back to a place of humility and, and real raw honesty and to say, you know what? Sobriety is about pairing everything back to the raw truth. It's about the paradox of surrender. We've heard that term a million times for those who may not have. Yep. Um, it means that for most of us, if we've gone into that chronic alcoholic drinking, and again, there are shades of grey here, there are shades of grey, but for an alcoholic who's lost the power of choice and is in that addictive cycle, you can't really even consider changing until you're ready to accept that you can't drink. Yeah. You're a person who can't drink. So for me, it came back to the cliches of number one, admit the truth admit it and I was a typical alcoholic in the sense that I nearly died before getting to the point of admitting it I had to hit rock bottom I had to nearly lose everything before I could stand up and look in the mirror and go you are an alcoholic you can't drink yeah suck it up face the truth and move forward yeah because who wants to be that right who wants to be that then people delve into labels and go but I don't want to be labeled this and I don't want to be this and that and the other for me personally I tried to say, oh, I'm just a problem drinker or I've got alcohol use disorder and I need to cut back and I need to try and, um, what's the old, I need to try some control drinking. <laughs> I tried every bloody other option in the planet, Jack, I did. And all it did was kept me relapsing, kept me getting closer and closer to death. For me, and this is just me, it was literally those traditional steps of saying, I am totally powerless over grog. Yep. That's the first thing. I had to get to that point of admission. No one could do that for me. I had to get to that place. And then I had to ask for help. And then I had to work my bum off to grab everything I could to make it happen. 
So it came down to not willpower, but willingness. Yep. Hard work, insane amounts of honesty, structure, support. Yep. And following a process and a plan. And I kind of amalgamated a couple of things. I had a bit of traditional 12 step stuff in there. Yep. I used a bit of biblical stuff and I used other stuff. I, I kind of, my, my personal recovery was a jigsaw puzzle because I loved some of the AA stuff and didn't like some of it. So I grabbed the bit yep. I resonated with. Then I grabbed this little bit from St. John of God over here because I liked how they did that bit. Yep. You know, and then a little bit of Russell Brand stuff resonated with me. Yeah. I turned into a research geek <laughs> and I did exactly what was suggested of me, Jack. And I took a year out of my life. I carved a year out of my life and said, for the next 12 months, my sobriety is all I do. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I changed everything because I was a traveling, really successful bloody wedding photographer, staying in hotels and traveling the group country and doing amazing things and going back to hotel rooms and drinking two bottles of wine yeah yeah i had to i had to give it away like i went from being cash rich wedding photographer to starting from ground zero best thing i ever did yeah because i knew if i did not put this stuff above everything else there was no chance yeah wow it's amazing so it sounds like the the fundamentals were (laughs) that you changed everything um so was there, cause I think people are always interested. Is it, was there anything within that? Was there anything um, specific that r- gave you the biggest kind of transformation or the biggest shift? Was it like an internal job? Was it exercising every day? Was it just not changing your job? You know? Yeah. What, what was it particularly for you that do you think that gave you a massive shift? Um, for me, it was the combination of things. And I can't remember who first said to me that, you know, with, with addiction and overcoming addiction, whatever addiction that might be, by the way, yeah, you can't just, for me, I couldn't have just put down my wine bottle and said, that's it, I don't drink anymore because I would have become one of those miserable dry drunks. Yeah. Um, and someone along the way introduced me to the concept of the four pillars. Yep. Emotional, spiritual, physical, mental. Yep. Right? So I literally, like I said, in that year that I took off, I went to war in all those four areas because my addiction related to significant trauma when I was an 18-year-old kid, Yeah. rape, sexual assault, abuse from people I trusted, blah, blah. Wow. Very common story. Oh, look, honestly, it's, it's so common. You know that as well. It's, you know, I learned to hide behind alcohol as a smokescreen and then 25 yeah. years later, it nearly took my life. You know, bang. Yeah. It's just... It's a progressive disease that kills us. It's shocking. Yeah. So I had to delve into some of that stuff and I had to find ways to let it go and deal with it. Yeah. So spiritual and emotional, um, physical. For me, I studied uh, intensively in holistic health. Yeah. Um, I changed how I ate. I detoxed. I retoxed. I learned what clean eating was about. Yeah. I I learned the basic laws of health and I made them non-negotiable priorities in my life. Mm, You know, so I had been this girl in the bush who would wake up and run out the door with a can of Coke and a Winfield Gold and a meat pie and go work a 12-hour day. (laughs) I was treating myself like an amusement park and thinking that that made me a legend. Mm. I was just such an idiot (laughs) Um, because I was competing with the boys. You know, I grew up, I'm now 46, but, you know, I grew up in a really male-dominated ag bush environment and I thought I had to be 
tough and awesome and cool like the boys to fit in. Mm-hmm. And all it did was turn me into an alcoholic. Anyway, whatever. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, so I had to go back to ground zero with my health, with my emotional stuff, with my mental, with my physical. And I, um, I had to learn how to let go of anger and hate and resentment. And, again, step work was really great for me in that yep. regard. Yeah, what's, what's, what's uh, I'm asking you a naive question here for people listening. What's, what's step work? So, sorry, in, so in some recovery circles you will hear steps referred to um it depends on what you are so there are various programs that offer various steps so really it's it's like a structured um one two three four five step one admit that you can't drink step two ask for help so for example you'll find a frame of step works within alcoholics anonymous you will find it within a program like smart recovery you will find it within russell brand's flaming hilarious foul-mouthed um, take on whatever. So it's just step work is a common phrase used in recovery to refer to the structured essential bones yep. that you need to put in place to move forward. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Mm. Um, so that's, it's, it's really interesting um, that you said that. And I think it's something that people just kind of need to continuously hear is that, like you said, you know, you can, you can give up drinking and be miserable um, because you've just, kind of lost the thing that was helping you to escape and if you don't actually work on yourself and change you then you're not going to continue it because you're not going to be happy you're not going to be fulfilled all that stuff it's like it's like the smokers who hang around trying to get secondhand smoke and going oh my god i wish i could have one um that's not really a great place to be you're not free from it yeah and i think um you know this is one of the critical things uh, we have, like I was saying before, within Sober in the Country, we have a rural peer group for professionals, right? And there's 700, yep. 700 men and women working in there together who've identified that they need to cut back or quit. It's, wow. incredible. it's bloody incredible. Um, and I'm like the annoying big auntie, <laughs> fairy godmother. <laughs> I go in there and I'm like, guys, I'm going to say this every week for the rest of your lives, but nothing changes if nothing changes. Yeah. And I throw myself under the bus to say, I was the stereotypical person who would whinge and moan and say, I want to be better and I want to get sober and I want my life to be good. Mm. Whinge, whinge, poor me, poor me, as they say, poor me, another drink. (laughs) So I wanted the change, but I wasn't prepared to bloody do the hard yards. I was like, no, I don't want to quit doing wedding photography. And I don't want to bloody prioritise that because I'll miss my friends or this or this or that. There was always an excuse. There was always a reason why it wasn't important enough or it could happen later. And this is why there's that age-old saying in in recovery that, you know, tomorrow may never come. Yeah. And um, that's also why a lot of us won't actually connect the dots and finally put our hands in the air until we've had a rock-bottom moment. And it's a tragic truth for many an alcoholic. And, And, you know, people... I'll say to anybody, I'm so glad I had a rock bottom, Jack. I'm so bloody glad because I know if I hadn't had that and put my hand up and and (laughs) dragged myself out of that pit, I'd be six foot under. I'd I'd have been buried five years ago. Yeah. There's no doubt about it, like no doubt in the planet. So. Uh, Amazing, amazing. And thanks thanks for sharing that because it's – it's, I forget sometimes as well how valuable those insights are for people because I'm kind of talking about it every day and it's me, it's my life. But 
you know, people just go, wow, when you say that stuff, it's really profound. And this is why, you know, one of the things I do 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 love so much about traditional um, models like AA is, you know, oh, actually, this is probably universal in any anyone. Yeah. Service work, helping others, right? So doing sober in the country, and it began as one volunteer, 10,000 hours of volunteering and a blog, like. Yeah. Oh, it wasn't an overnight thing. <laughs> <laughs> um but whether I was broker than a uni student and writing a blog or whether I was the CEO of a now well-known national charity, the one thing that has remained absolutely pivotal to me is helping others yep. and doing everything I can to serve other people because helping others brings it back to a place of reality for me. I keep my eye on the prize and I know that... Um, <laughs> if I was to ever become complacent and forget those things, I don't know. I just don't want to go there. And so yeah. I feel very, very, very grateful. I'm like the luckiest girl in Australia that I can, I can use this in very imperfect face and this very imperfect life to help other people because it, it, it has given me a purpose yeah. every day. Every day yeah. I get up, bounce out of bed and I'm so happy. Love it. <laughs> I'm so a weirdo, good. man. I'm a total weirdo. I love it. I, I can't wait till sunrise so I can go and start work. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, so tell me about, because I think it'll be an interesting insight for people to hear and, and hopefully for people in the city as well to hear. Mm. Um, so all that was going on with your alcoholism and drinking and stuff. Um, how did you, how did you actually break it down and go, I need help? being in the country and I'm imagining you're pretty isolated um, because, you know, I think we've, you know, all the professional work that I do, everyone sits around and agrees that service, service access and delivery in the city is shit. <laughs> so I couldn't imagine it, you know, in the country. So, so how did you go about that? What were some of the barriers? I'm, I'm rubbing my hands with glee. This is my favourite. Jack, I'm just going to open the doors. Can you give me two seconds? Go, go for it. Go for Sorry, it. Sorry, it's actually turned really hot all of a sudden here. Yeah, no, this is a great question. I can't wait to delve into this one. Um, okay, so in 2015, when I very first knew that I had to change everything, I took the advice of somebody who said, why don't you start um, a recovery meeting in your town if there isn't one? And I was like, yep. it's a great idea. Yeah. And the very long story short is I spent two years baking skirts, scones, opening a building and sitting waiting like a little eager beaver. <laughs> And thinking, where is everybody? Wow. I know it's not just me. And nobody came. Wow. Now, what they... two years. Oh, look, yeah, I think one night we had six people and I, I, I flipping nearly... Oh, nearly... Did a backflip. I was <laughs> fizzing. I was so beside myself. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, generally it was me by myself, maybe one person. Weeks and weeks and weeks would go by and I wouldn't see soul. Um, and I invited people and I did everything that was suggested I put flies up at Dr. Sedgwick's blah, friggin' blah, I did it all. Yeah. Um, and eventually I was like, ah, yeah, all right, well, I reckon I've given that a fair crack. Yeah. And what I now understand and a core part of our message behind Sober in the Country is 
Um, unfortunately, models based on anonymity are never going to work when you can't be anonymous. Yeah, 100%. It's totally never going to work. Mm. It might work for one person out of 100, um, but it's just highly ineffective. And again, I don't say that to disrespect those models because in a city, they're brilliant. Yeah. Every time I go to the big smoke, I go visit recovery meetings and I'm so, I'm so excited. I'm like, hi everybody. <laughs> and I can't wait to, I can't wait to get involved because I'm yeah. just craving, craving contact. Yeah. But here I was two years into recovery going, well, shivers. Okay. This isn't working, but I really want to help people. So I have tried and failed and tried and failed and done all sorts of dumb things to get to where I am today. Yeah. Um, and eventually what I, what I worked out is that in the bush um, and in the rural slash regional slash remote, whatever you want to call it, um, we have to use technology. Yeah. That's, that's a non-negotiable. And we have to, we have to drive conversations for rural people from a rural perspective. We can't take a city-based model and go, here you go, Shan, have a go at that. Because mm. I'll be going, oh, yeah, that's kind of not our life though, guys. Um, yep. yeah. um, and I do believe that because all of our policy makers and all our decision makers and all our leaders dwell in the comfort of, you know, East Coast and, and mm. major populations, they've lost touch completely with what happens west of the Great Divide. Yeah. And... Um, it's too easy to forget about it and just go, oh, just pump some money over into that or donate to that thing. That'll, that'll cover that on the checklist. Yeah. They're not overly interested. Um, and so I, I kind of sat there and I remember, um, I remember thinking, you know what? I'm just going to bloody, I'm just going to start speaking about this stuff. I'm a journalist. I'm, I'm on the way through. I know at that stage I wouldn't have called myself recovered. Yeah. I was recovering but I was yep. very willing, I was very keen to share because I thought if it helps one person, would that would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. And anyway, six years later, Australian story and millions of people have, have, have related to our story because it's just that, it's that common. Yep. So I guess in the end, Jack, my objective was to connect people using technology. Mm-hmm. I wanted to just put a very, very real, as I always say, imperfect face, imperfect voice, a real person from yep. rural Australia who's lived all over this beautiful, amazing, gorgeous country. I've got connections all over Australia. And as you and I would know, once you've worked out here for five minutes, you know everybody. It's just, <laughs> doesn't matter how far apart you are in rural Australia, everyone is connected. Yeah. Um, and I just wanted to put a ridiculously real language to this horrific thing that dwells in our families and our businesses and our lives and just speak the truth. Mm. And it just went boom. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that's because I'm, I've got the solutions or the answers. I don't. Um, I, know, I know there is hope though. And I know I can direct people to many of the services that are there. And Yeah. Um, I think real talk was the key, like-mindedness, sorry, like-mindedness, real talk and a strict identification point because nobody looks at working men and women because yeah. we look okay, so therefore we must be okay. Yeah. And it's not the case. So interesting. So mm-hmm. is one of the reasons mm-hmm. that the, or is what you're saying about the anonymous meetings, why they often don't work in um, rural areas because... Is it that old saying like 
everybody knows each other in the town um, oh. and knows each other's business. Is that, yeah. hundred um, percent. So for example, um, you've got to advertise an AA meeting online, let's yeah. say, right? Um, and people just, people just know everything about everyone in a small town. <laughs> um, so let's say like original, before I was ready to be extremely open and blow my own anonymity, cause I don't care any, I just don't care about yep. it. Now. But back in the day, that was what stopped me going to mm. a meeting. Yeah. I would say to Tim, I'm not going to drive to Moree and visit an AA meeting because everyone in Moree who knows me will know that that's my car outside that building at 8.30 on a Monday. Therefore, they're going to know I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. Bugger that for a joke, mate. No way. And that was it. Yeah. Stopped me in my tracks. Yeah. So, um, and that's just, I mean, we're not even where we live. We're, we're in um, northwest New South Wales. We're not even in a tiny town anymore. Um, mm. I've lived remotely all my life. But even bigger centres like Tamworth or Dubbo, they're, everyone knows, just everyone knows everything. Yeah. So my, you know, my wish and my heartfelt prayer was to say, I'm sorry, but why are we obsessed by this notion that our mates have got to go and disappear off the face of the earth when it's their time of need? What yeah. the hell are we doing? And often when I give a keynote speech, right, I will say, in a rural community, what do we do when someone gets cancer? Anybody? And, of course, someone goes, um, we help, we cook, we feed the dogs. We harvest the crops, we clean the house, we raise money, we do everything we can to embrace that person and help yep. them. Now, what do we do for someone in a small country town who gets alcoholism? Anybody? And they all go. And I'm like, I'll tell you what we do. One of two things. We either tell them to harden up and have a beer and stop being ridiculous <laughs> or we tell them to bugger off and go be anonymous. Yeah. We are not... <sighs> In, in country Australia, and I need to I need to say here that, that this is changing and we've made a massive dent in this, but yeah. there is still this archaic, horrendous, dark ages mentality out here where a bloke doesn't know what to do when another bloke says no thanks to a grog. It's crazy yeah. because we are so fixated on alcohol being the central point for everything we do in the country. Mm. So it's a massive learning curve when someone who used to be the biggest drinker of all at the local rugby club suddenly rocks up and says, no, nah, thanks, fellas, I'm off the piers. And everyone else goes, what? <laughs> they can't cope. Yeah. So, you know, my philosophy as, as the person discussing rural Australia is to say it's not good enough. Yeah. If, if, you know, if Jack's good enough for us to go and shout schooners at the pub till, until he gets fall down drunk and we can laugh at him, which is what we do. Yeah. Pretty sure we can step up and look after Jack when he says, guys, I'm not okay. Yeah. I need a hand. It's not it's, complicated. It's, it's so interesting. And I think what you'll start finding, if you haven't already, is that, you know, you're sober in the country, movement, tackling um, perceptions and issues just like that one mm -hmm. will spread throughout the whole country in all areas because, you know, I know that that's the same here in the city largely, um, you know, when I go out for dinner and meet new people or whatever, and they say, do you want to, do you want to drink? Um, and yeah. I say, Oh no, I don't drink. They're almost, well, not almost. They are, they're more uncomfortable with it than I am. You know, they <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> and, and do you know something? Um, one of my, one of my most frequent comments on our social media is, Oh, that's not just a country problem. And I totally know that I'm yep. all over that, but we've got amazing sobriety 
ambassadors, speakers, people doing all sorts of amazing things in the city. E.g. Hello Sunday Morning. Yep. Um, E.g. Osher Gunsberg, Pete Fitzsimmons, Talitha Cummins, like all these amazing humans who live in the cities and speak about this stuff. There's not a soul other than me that speaks about it in the bush. Yeah. (laughs) It's crazy. I'm like, oh, my God, I know every second person out here relates to my story. Yeah. Um, the only, like I say, there's nothing unusual about me except the fact that I speak about this ridiculously candidly. Um, and so, and the other thing is, um, in the city, at least let's say Jack gets off the grog and finds that he loses this circle of friends. He can go to another suburb or another surf club or, I don't know, you can, you've got some options. Yep. What, what is terrific about the country is when a person goes, goes sober. And I'm going to use a case study of a very, very special friend of mine who lost everything, including his family because of his drinking, pulled himself back from the brink, got it together, changed his life and began getting ostracised by his own community because he doesn't drink. So I often draw inspiration from stories like that to say, I'm sorry, Australian men, what the F? Like, what are you doing? Yeah. If you are so profoundly uncomfortable that one of your alleged best mates is saying no to a grog, who's got the issue here? Yeah. And I just tackle really difficult subjects. And I say, where does a man like that end up in our community? Do we just leave him to die of loneliness now? Because yeah. he can't cope that he's not having a grog with you? Or do you man up and go, no problem, I'll get you soda water? Yeah. So it's um and and they and unless someone and I've seen this happen, I know another fellow who literally picked up his family and his life and he moved to a whole new district because it was easier than being sober in his hometown of birth. Yeah. He was suddenly an outcast in his own bloody community. Yeah. And it's I feel so much Oh, sadness and, and, and despair when I hear those stories. And that, that's kind of the stuff that literally fires in my veins day and night and inspires blogs and inspires my social media because we've got to do better. And it's yeah. insane that we're not doing better. And on the flip side, um, what I can say is that our charity and, and this voice, it's, it's cracking those conversations wide open and we're making huge impact. Love yeah. it. Love Crazy. It. So and it's really true what you're saying, just about everyone knowing each other and in their business, you know, like, yeah, I've never, I've never lived rurally, but have family that do. And, um, and it's not even in a super remote town or anything. And you, I remember like as a kid going down to the supermarket with, with Nan and what should have taken half an hour would take three because yeah. you know we'd stop and talk to every single yeah. person walking past and yeah. what they were talking about was everyone else <laughs> um and and it's really like that so just to kind of give a picture as well because i really want to drive home this point and hopefully you know we can get some other people with influence listening to this and wake mm. up and realize but what's how many services would you have that help with either let's put mental health in there as well, mental health and addiction issues in kind of a close square radius to you. Uh, about that many that would make sense to me within yep. two hour, three hour drive. Yeah. I, I tried when I first got sober here. I, there was one counselor who was briefly in a tiny town I lived in that I resonated with other than her. 
I've never had any success with finding someone I could connect with and feel, uh, yeah, so, but um, we don't actually have meetings. We don't have recovery support groups because they come and they go because people give up because no one's there. Mate, we are so, uh, and, and may I just say, our doctors and nurses and mental health care professionals and volunteers out here deserve eternity in heaven. Yep. Because they try so hard to do what they can with very little. And yes. and it's just never enough. And um, I'm going to have a bit of a... I'll go a little bit political here for a minute. Go. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, you know, it's funny. Um, I'll share with you that a um, couple of... Oh, whenever it was, three years ago now, I was a Rural Woman of the Year finalist. Yep. And then this year I was a Regional Woman of the Year finalist. Now, these are the things that land you in um, political circles, Parliament House, fancy gala dinners and what you're doing is amazing and hoorah and isn't this terrific. Mm. But when push comes to shove, there's no support for the alleged important work that they're asking people to bring out of the wilderness into the spotlight to support it. There's never any support at the back end. It's like, here's a certificate, here's a pat on the back, off you trot. Mm. That's so nice. Let's pop you in a media release. Um, and it's really frustrating because we will see this again and again. We will see politicians jump behind microphones and talk behind, talk about the scourge of methamphetamines in rural Australia. We will yep. see millions pumped into a national ICE inquiry, for example. Mm. When it comes to alcohol, we went for a decade without even having a national alcohol strategy in Australia. Full stop. That only recently got reinstalled. We just don't look at it. And we know why, because it makes a huge amount of money Mm. and because it's legal and because it's not a popular vote-getting topic. It's easy to stand behind a microphone and talk about drugs because a politician can stand in a position of superiority and talk about those poor unfortunates over there. And I get pretty fired up about this, right, because I see this as a global food security issue. Now, I can yeah, imagine yeah. people listening will go, I'm oh, sorry, how did we just go from talking about recovery to food? <laughs> and what, I'm, what I would say, if I could sit down opposite Scotty Morrison or Greg Hunt or any of these guys, they all know who I am, they all know what I'm doing, I would say truly you need to remember that I think it's, I'd have to check the stats, I think it's something like 4% of the population feed the rest of the population. Yeah. The minority of Australians live remotely and rurally And they're the same minority who feed the majority. And if you want to break this down into a topic everyone's interested in, if you want Australia to have a sustainable national food system, which is going to get harder and harder and harder, then surely to God, the men and women who get up and show up after decades of bloody drought and flood and everything else, they're not even asking for handouts, right? They're just asking for equality in services and support. And, and, and I would literally say this to the face of any politician, seriously, how do you guys expect these exhausted, fatigued humans who are just trying to scrape, scrape through and stay where they live and stay where their heart is and where they belong? Like we love, this is the thing, right? I would never want to live in the city. My heart and soul is bush. Yeah. yeah. I would die. I would die if I was taken out. I friggin' love it. But there are only a limited, finite group of talented, skilled, resourceful people who can live that life. 
who yeah. can, you know, bring the next generation of regenerative farmers and um, people through the ranks to grow the crops, you know, to farm the land, to chase cattle on the back of a bloody bike in 48 degree heat. <laughs> you know, like, and so for me, at, at the heart and soul of this issue is the fact that I think it is disgusting that this demographic, my people, my demographic, my peers in rural and remote Australia who work their butts off mm. can't get support, can't get heard, won't get heard, and are dismissed again and again and again. Yep. And I reckon I just, in my heart of hearts, Jack, I just think it's absolutely atrocious because they're just asking for equality in services and support. And if one, like I'll often say, if one little bozo with a laptop and the heart of a volunteer can impact a nation with one discussion. It's just blatant proof of how urgently needed this chat is and how much merit it has and how much could be achieved with collaboration. Yeah. And, and that is why it is very, very, very heartbreaking when we see the ministers announcing another few million for this city-based, you know, charity or this over here or that over there. It just becomes soul destroying um, when you know what's happening. And this is why I will be forever grateful until the last breath I draw for philanthropic people. Yeah. We, we have had philanthropists step in and around us and totally see the merit in this. And they're like, what do you need? Let's get this done. And, and that's how we, that's what has been the crucial factor for us in the last six months is we've had investors go, yeah, I see this. This is so important. Love it. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I'm so, so passionate. No, I love it. It's good to hear you talk um, with the passion and um, fire in the belly and we, and we need more of it. And you're right because so with all the big wigs when they talk about like data and stuff, you know, everybody knows they call them social determinants of health. Um, everybody knows that. Uh, the the more or the higher they get and um, yeah, the more they're fleshed out, the greater impact it has on poor mental health and alcohol and drug issues. And I'm talking about um, financial stress, um, lack of connections with social supports, yeah. lack of access to services, all those things, right? So when you think about that and you look at the country um, and people that operate in the country with drought, fires, yes, yeah. you know, all the effects that happen. It's, it's horrible. You're right. It is a disgrace. It is a disgrace. And COVID-19 to me, it, it was really funny. In March, I was at the Sydney Opera House. Um, sorry, just clearing my ears. I was at the Sydney Opera House presenting alongside some of Australia's most extraordinary women thinking, yay, 2020. I was, I was going I was to be travelling Australia as a speaker yep. and then COVID happened and then I was sitting back here at, at home going, oh, shit. <laughs> well, that was awkward. No money, no income, everything was gone. Yeah. As it was for many people. And I thought it was the worst thing that had ever happened to me. Mm. Um, several months later, thanks AU2 Philanthropic Investors and their incredible, incredible hearts, um, B, COVID-19, Oh man, it's done wonders for the addictions conversation. Yeah. Because a few things happened and you would have watched this. Our own our own government declared bottle shops an essential service mm. during lockdown because 
they knew if they had not done that, A, there'd be a civil war, B, the healthcare system would have been crashed mm. by undiagnosed alcoholics going into withdrawals. Mm -hmm. That's the only reason that happened, right? We know it's not essential to a normal person. So what does that say about that? Anyway, there was yeah. that. Then there was the fact, so to me, that was just the most passive um, acknowledgement from our government that Australia is literally alcohol dependent. Yeah. So there was that. Then over here, again, leaders behind microphones saying, oh my God, we've got to give extra money to this tech technology service and that technology service because all of these people can't get to their meetings and their support and their services. It's going to be a crisis. And I'm sitting back here going, interesting. I've been actually trying to tell you this for six years. Isolation is our normal. Yeah. And it's never registered as an urgent crisis. Mm. So it really just further, you know, showed people like us that, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. And I'm not, you know what, I don't really go for this whole business of sledging, people i don't like it i don't like that aggressive um political game playing i loathe it actually i love yeah. it but but i will also call out huge disparities when mm. i see them and there is just such a blatant blatant disparity going on in the in the healthcare system and again i'm not saying we want handouts and 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 we choose to live in the bush we bloody love it but at the end of the day you know, people like me present in the healthcare system a long time before we nearly drop dead and we're dismissed and we're dismissed and we're dismissed yeah. or we're not ready or we don't know how to identify we're in denial, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden it's like, no, oh, Shanna fell down a flight of stairs and nearly broke a neck. Mm. That's so sad. I've been falling down that flight of stairs for 20 bloody years. Yeah. You know, so coming back to that foundational quote, we need to get these conversations happening here before our mates are found, you know, dead from suicide mm. because they've drank a bottle of rum on their bloody porch mm. after another 10 years of drought. Do you, know what, do you know what frustrates me though, Shanna, is, and you're right, it, it has been a catalyst and I think it has opened up the conversation more, but something mm. that really uh, pissed me off about all that was if you, if you just kind of drilled it all back and you looked at the funding, um, <laughs> Mental health, I don't know the exact figure, but they got, I think it was somewhere in the range of an extra 30 plus million onto mm. different services and stuff for COVID-19. And that happened, and this is federally, that happened straight away, which was, which is great and needed, right? But if you really kind of drill down and you look at um, stats behind, yeah, suicide and um, different mental health issues and the impacts that alcohol and drugs have on it, um, it's massive. Um, and do you know how much alcohol and drugs got federally? Oh, no. Six million. I was going to say six, but I was like, I think. Which, yeah. which is great. It's fantastic that we got something extra. Um, but that was slow in coming out. So it was kind of five or six weeks behind. Um, mm. And people in the industry really kind of had to dig in their heels to get it. Yeah. And, um, you know, definitely not sounding ungrateful it's it's awesome that we got that extra money um but people think like oh six million that's a lot of money but when you spread that across the whole country it's it's nothing it's nothing um yeah and and truthfully like i think 
I think that it is very easy for people to sit in their lounge rooms and bash people online, right? Yeah. I think you've got to earn your right to comment and you've got to have proven yourself as bed income and all those sorts of things. And I think that's why I get particularly heartbroken and frustrated is it's like, how much more? Like, like a national charity like ours doing what we're doing and making the impact. I mean, there is no, there is irrefutable proof and evidence of, of the impact, yep. you know? And so I just, I must say, I never anticipated it would be impossible to get the so-called leaders of Australia to go, yeah, this, this, that's great. We, we can definitely develop and get something on the go here. And, but having, having said that, um, I never anticipated that having an independent community and voice would end up being our superpower. That's right, yeah. And I don't think, you know, I'm learning and growing all the time. I'm just a, I'm just a chick from the bush and all of a sudden, <laughs> man, I'm doing some very intense things in very, very high-profile media. And every now and then, like it was really funny, I was on the drum in a, on ABC recently um, and in my own head, I was having one of those, holy shit, what am I doing here moments? I was just laughing internally and I'm thinking, don't laugh out loud, don't laugh out loud <laughs> because I'm just a girl from the bloody country. Just It just cracks me up. But anyway, you know, I've got a serious national um, voice here. So I, I try yeah. and be respectful and I try and be really careful. But... The independent factor, and one of the reasons I believe Sober in the Country has had such a rapid impact is we're not vanilla. We're not delivered with a pamphlet to your doorstep saying, did you know the standard amount of drinks that are recommended (laughs) in Australia is 2.5? Because we know a country bloke's going to go, F off, you wanker, that doesn't even wash the dust down my throat. (laughs) Right? And so you have to, again, you need boots on the ground. You need a person who understands the demographic. Yeah. And like I, I said to somebody once, if I was doing for drugs what I've done for alcohol, I probably would have been knighted and given an office in Parliament House by now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I don't care anymore. That's the nice thing about that. I've let that go because I now see with this clarity that um, that independence and that real talk is what's working. Yeah. So all we've got to do now is hope and pray that, um, you know, we will continue to find people who just see the plain truth of this and go, yeah, we'll do this. Yeah. We will do for these people what needs to be done. And that's happening. Yeah. Um, Love it. Love it. Oh, God, it's ridiculous, Jack, how much I um, <laughs> I'm so passionate about it, you know. Yeah. No, it's so good to say. And actually, speaking of those... Um, meet all that media stuff that you've done which is cool um and very very important i actually wanted to ask you today because i think people will find it interesting um about a blog or article that you wrote off the back of the ben cousins documentary that got a bit of attention um so yeah i'd, I'd love to hear well, like first of all kind of explain just explain the situation to everyone um mm. Mm. And, and yeah, it'd be great to kind of hear your viewpoint on it and, and why you wrote that article and what it was all about. <laughs> oh, we so ask, we ask the good questions here. You do. <laughs> oh. uh, so like everyone else in Australia, I saw the headline, Ben Cousins coming clean and I was like, oh yes, I'm going to watch that. Yep. I watched it. I went to bed in tears 
I woke up in tears. I sat down at my computer that morning and started crying again and a blog fell out of me. This is often what happens. Like whenever I write a blog, it's spontaneous. I never plan my social media ever. That's crap for me. I just, it's all very organic to use a very cheesy hashtag, but it is. (laughs) So um, I don't plan anything. It's just here in this crazy brain that never stops. But um, yeah, I, it just like, I literally wrote that blog in five minutes and just hit publish and walked away. Yeah. Um, and then it went to 40,000 people within a week. Wow. Which is funny because I don't promote anything and we're just a little bush charity. So that's actually a huge amount of blog visitors. Um, uh, so basically, what, something I'm very grateful for as the CEO and spokesperson of the Rural Demographic Now in this chat, right, is that I'm very media savvy and very media aware. Yep. I'm a journalist background and I am old enough and ugly enough to know how that stuff works. Thank God. Yep. Um, because you just don't go there unless you know what you're doing because it is so risky. Mm. And when I shared that blog, I knew there would be risk with it um, because I knew media outlets would love the, you know, the... Um, explosiveness of it explosiveness truth you know like it was pretty savage like i ripped shreds off channel seven yeah um because i believe in my heart that that was just a totally um exploitative documentary yeah like it it was it was horrific what they Mm. did to ben cousins um as i said in that blog He's not a perfect guy. He, he's an addict who's not yet ready to do what's got to be done. I'm not defending yeah. him or his behaviour, but I was calling out a national media outlet for their lack of um, integrity, for their lack of ethics, mm. for their lack of duty of care. Because, yeah. and it's interesting, um, and I'm at pains to point this out, I'll say to our tribe, don't engage with the media unless you've got media training or come through me, like whatever you do, do not engage because it is like throwing yourself into a bunch of bloody um, bait fish during a shark frenzy. Mm. Do not go into that unless you've got your guard up and you're very knowledgeable because it's a very dangerous thing to do. Um, And and it puts you in a vulnerable position. And and a lot of people in recovery, e.g. Ben Cousins, are already compromised and vulnerable. You know, and it's interesting, I did a radio interview off the back of that um, with some mob from Melbourne, I can't even remember who, and this fellow said to me, oh, but Shanna, come on, Ben's a 41-year-old man and he's fully functional. Like, who are you to say he couldn't do the interview? And I just went, I say, I'm sorry, functional? Did you just say functional in the same sentence as that man? In that, I was like, there's nothing about Ben that was functioning at the time of that thing. He was so clearly not capable of doing that. It was, and I don't care if there was money involved, that actually makes it even more of a case of exploitation. So I guess, oh, mate, I was just in a a righteous rage about it because I just, I couldn't actually believe a network had had let that go to air. I think it was, I just think it goes to show everything that's wrong with our media in 2020. yeah, and, and like I tweeted, I'm very glad I didn't let Channel 7 anywhere near my story. It's why I chose ABC, Australian story. Yeah. They're the only people I would have let go near telling my story because I, I'm very cynical um, about a lot of things as it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, and thank God I am because, oh my God, five years ago or two years ago, I would have said yes to a seven thing. And I just, oh my God, it would have ruined my life. Yeah. You know? And I just think, I don't know, mate. I just think that we've lost our way as a nation with our media. It's it's all about the grab and the and the funniness and, and there's no credibility, there's no research, there's no balance, there's no facts. Yeah. It's it uh, I feel mortified when I watch news, mm. certain certain media news. I just think, really, yeah. is this news or is this sixteen year olds? Yeah. With personal opinions. It's just so so what was it what was it like telling your story to the media like and going through that whole process um was it scary um yeah like what what how was that well i um i am very pleased that i did what i did which was everything i did from the moment i began my journey to sobriety was to be very measured very careful very intentional because my drunk mind was all about rushing at things like a bull at a gate, not yep. putting strategies in place, not researching, not investigating, you know, and that's why it took me six years to even launch the charity. Yeah. I needed credibility. I needed, I needed to be, I needed foundations. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like that with the um, Australian story documentary. Um, it was very overwhelming and very scary because of the sensitivity of the subject. Yeah. Um, but I'll plug our beautiful producer, Ben Cheshire. Um, God love him. They, they were nicknaming me the co-producer because I was so bossy. But I kept saying to them, I'm not even kidding you guys. If you if you get the balance wrong here, I will literally need to move to yeah. like Dubai <laughs> and assume a new name. Yeah. Because we're talking about grog in Australia. If we get this wrong, I'm dead, mate. Like I'm Gonski. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and so I was very, very, very frightened um, of that not being done properly. Not that I didn't trust them, but very few people understand the complexities and subtleties of this conversation, let yeah. alone in a rural demographic. Um, and so, for example, um, you know, when we film sequences like up at Birdsville Races, I said, you need to have a shot with Tim, my beautiful husband. Yeah with a beer and me with no beer and having a cheers. Yeah. I need viewers to know we don't demonise people who drink. Yeah. We're not anti-alcohol. We're not prohibitionists. Yeah. We're here to support our mates who can't and that's a core part of the Sober in the Country message. It's all yeah. about positive reinforcement and inclusiveness. It's yeah. not about demonising people or being a bunch of wowsers or evangelists because that doesn't work. Um, and all you do is put an entire nation offside. So I was putting my life's work into the hands of those producers. Yeah. scared the shit out of me, actually. Anyway, um, it took us six months from beginning to end. Yeah. And normal episode of Australian Story takes six days. Wow. But because they didn't, you know, anticipate the distance and the this, that and the other. And then we had a major sequence pulled on us on, at the last minute here in my own backyard, which was devastating and nearly bloody crashed the whole thing. Oh, that was terrible. So there were some huge moments of like horrifying stress and sleeplessness and yeah. oh God. Anyway, um, it went to air in late November. And a few days before, I said to Timbo, I said, sweetheart, can we please go away to the coast and lock <laughs> ourselves in a unit because I'm so tired and so emotional and I'm shaking in my boots. Yeah. 
So we went, we did that. We went up to Malulabar, which is a favorite place of ours to go if we can, just to get away for a couple of days and get away from the drought. Yeah. <laughs> and um, see some actual water. <laughs> anyway, so we're in the unit. And because we totally didn't think about it, daylight savings was on. Yeah. So it's gone to air in New South Wales and we're not, and we're getting our phones are going ping, 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 ping. Oh, no. <laughs> and I'm going, turn your phone on silent, put it away. I was like, what if it's bad? Oh my God. So, so you didn't, you didn't watch it as it aired? No. Oh. We waited for it to come on the old fashioned TV in the year. Yeah. Wow. We didn't watch it live stream. So, oh my God. So by the time we got to it in Queensland, my anxiety is like off the flipping charts. <laughs> anyway, we watched it. And we looked at each other and we both just, I was just actually sobbing. I was sobbing with um, relief, gratitude. I don't know. I just think the enormity of what we had done yep. on such a massive platform hit me. Timbo was very emotional and we yep. just kind of held each other and rocked in the fetal position. Yep. <laughs> but they did it beautifully. Yeah. They did it so well. Um, and holy bloody cow, the response. Oh, my God. Um, I wish producers got a commission. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I was chatting to Ben the other day and uh, I said, mate, you helped us to impact lives. Like that was a critical part of getting this out there. Yeah. Yeah, so, mate, it was... Um, it was incredible. It was terrifying. But I tell you what, anytime I speak to anybody who's considering, God, look at my hair, sorry, <laughs> doing anything with the media, I just say tread very, 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 very carefully. Mm. Um, it's not for the faint of heart. Yeah. And I wouldn't uh, have touched it had I not been as experienced as what I had. Yeah. It's, it's so great to have you here share that story. And, and I just felt the emotion kind of well up when you started talking about what it was like when you watched it um it's it's pretty crazy so i think i think the thing that hits me and um there will be a fair few families listening to this as well um and and that's the other thing i wanted to kind of talk to you about and i know it's not your direct experience but you'd obviously have some insights like so is it tim your husband or as you refer to him timbo like how is how is all of this you doing this sober in the country essentially opening up not just your life but I imagine his life and and probably the rest of your family's life a little bit as well um how has that journey been for you guys as a family you do ask the good questions (laughs) and mate that's a really important question because again the only the only reason I've gone ahead and done any of what I'm doing for for six years now is because we don't have a family yeah I would never do this if I had children like never yeah because it's too risky and the flow on impact is too potentially devastating for kids. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that people shouldn't do it if they've got kids, but for me, I I just couldn't have done that. Right. So again, it was a very intentional, very measured. It was spoken about with our family. I spoke about it with Tim. I spoke about it with friends. Yeah. Um, The impacts and the flow on effects have been massive and nearly all positive. Awesome. Yep, which is mind-boggling because I was bracing myself for trolls and haters and all the usual horrific shit you see on social media. <laughs> and, and, you know, I just, it's devastating. And, again, I, I was prepared for that mentally. Yeah. 
Um, um, interestingly enough, Tim hears frequently from people in the ag industry now. They yeah. will just pop up out of nowhere and share a story and say, I saw your thing and this is my story. Wow. Um, so it's opened a lot of conversations across Australia, but in our own backyard. Um, yeah. Tim is probably one of the nicest men you'd ever meet if you travel the continent. Yeah. He's a really good guy. Um, people respect him and, and know that he's just a decent, decent man. And so there's been no negative kickback there at all, thank God. Um, but again, you know, we're so careful with how we speak to ensure people understand there's no judgment, you know? Yeah. And, and we're doing this because we care so much about the rural communities that we yeah. speak into. Um, um, mate, honestly, other than the occasional Wally, <laughs> and I anticipated who would give me grief and it was actually fanatical people from certain recovery circles. Oh, oh I, I got to talk to you about that in a second. That's, mm. that, that was predictable and that happened and I had strategies to manage that in advance. Yeah. Um, but honestly, mate, it, it has been overwhelmingly incredibly well received and very positive to the point where it blew my mind. I was expecting a lot more negative kickback, um, but no, it was just brilliant. Yeah. No, amazing. And it's funny that you mentioned that. So, cause that's what I've found. Um, and it's, yeah, it's actually incredible when you think about it, the, the most kind of hate or negative feedback that I've ever gotten about doing similar stuff and sharing my story and all that is from the recovery community itself, which is really weird. And it, and it, and saddening and I, I think has held the whole movement back a little bit for years um, and people are starting to break through. And it's because, well, in my opinion, it's because of what we were talking about at the very start, all that sort of institutionalised, or not institutionalised, but just the way it's been for so many years and the, and people's yeah. around it. And yep. And, stuff and, yeah. and mate, and that's it. It's that indoctrinated philosophy that you must not speak about this mm. and you must not speak in the media, in the press and do this and do this and do that and do that. Blah, blah, blah. It's funnily enough, I actually understand the, I understand the reason for that, right? Yeah. I mean, because someone who's five minutes sober could have gone and done Australian story and done untold damage. Yeah. So, and that's precisely why I have been so careful. Oh my God, the care I have taken. Because I literally, the responsibility I wear in this space is enormous. Like I know I'm being watched and I know I've got to get it right. And yeah. if I get it wrong, I say it straight away. I'm like, sorry guys, that was my stuff up, whatever. Yeah. Um, so I do believe firmly that anyone representing recovery has to go in with their eyes wide open. And if they're not okay, they've got to be honest. Yeah, and, and what really distresses me is seeing these overnight influencers pop up and create an Instagram account and going, yeah, we're like a community of resources for this and that. And you're like, you're not even a, f what? Yeah. You can't say that. Like, you're not even a legit business, guys. That's shit. You can't do that. Like, yeah. and what I think is really lovely about the community is that by and large, um, people respect the rules. There's a bit of a unwritten ethic. Yeah that binds most of us together and people who don't follow that kind of common courtesy are fairly quickly weeded out. Yeah. You know, you don't just come into this and blather on as though you're an expert and expect to be taken seriously because that's not okay. 
Yeah. And that's why I think certain older industries are so passionately passionate about that. And I get that. Mm. I do. But um like it's really funny. I've had people from within certain recovery groups say, Oh, it's a bit of a shame you don't know anything about AA, for example. And I go, Oh, it's a bit of a shame you didn't read my website or understand that I ran AA meetings for two years. Yeah. And that I actually recommend you guys all the time. Yeah. I think there's so much merit in that program, but it's incredible how people will instantly make the assumption that I'm anti it. I'm like, no. Yeah. I'm pro-choice. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pro-making your own mind up about what it is that you might need. And for many of us, it's many different things. Calm yeah. down. Let's just all remember we're on the same side here. Yeah. You know, and I can't stand that horrendous warfare that goes on. And one thing I love, for example, about, say, AA is it says we don't have them and we don't own the monopoly or the rights on recovery. We encourage you to do whatever you've got to do. But again, a lot of people haven't read that fine print. Yeah. So it's like with religion and fanaticism of any kind, the problem is never usually the thing. It's the people who don't go in fully informed. Yeah, that's right. And they they mouth off at the drop of a hat about something. And and it's like, holy crap, guys. (laughs) I'm on your side. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But I think, I don't know what happens, Jack, if it's... um, I've had some people say uh, who ring me, ring me when they've stopped drinking and say, I'm really sorry about the thing I said. I was drunk and I'm jealous. And I go, what? <laughs> what are you jealous of? This face, this beautiful wrinkly face. What? what? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, no, I'm just really jealous. You seem to be going great guns. And I'm like, dude, I haven't had an income for six years. I'm living in a rental house. Yeah. No, like don't mistake this for success. This is just me doing what I feel in my heart to do. Yeah. <laughs> But people are people, you know, we all have, I would have done that. Drinking me would have been the person doing that, I have to say. Yeah. Yep. I was an asshole when I was drunk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was so, a yeah. So that's, that's really interesting. And, and that's kind of what I want to finish up with and really hear about because it's so cool for you just to kind of frame it like that. And it really does sound like you've been able to take all the crap and bullshit out of it and just it's really about helping people and exactly like you said that's the reason why it's successful and it's um shone through and doing really well so 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 yeah you have sober in the country and you talked a little bit about how it was formed but so what do you guys actually do now like what do you what do you offer and and how does it all work yeah another cracking question from jack um so, okay, like I said, it started as a blog and 10,000 volunteer hours and then it developed into a Facebook page and this, that and the other. And today, um, what we are, yes, we are a registered national charity and our objective is basically to close the gap yep. for people like me in the bush. We are very laser focused about being specifically around the rural regional demographic again because nobody looks there. So what we've done is we've created an online platform slash hub. We are not a service provider. We are not government funded. We are not presenting as the solution. What we've done is to just use the incredible power of social media to get a message out there, to break stigmas down, to break barriers down, to bring real talk into this incredibly complex topic. Yeah. Our philosophy is that we just want to make it okay when our mates say no to a beer. 
Yeah. It's a bit like, are you okay, Dave? We're just making it a conversation that can be had without stigma attached, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, you, and bearing in mind, we're only six months into being a national charity, so we are changing and growing very quickly. Yeah. But at the forefront of everything we do, we're never going to pretend to be something we're not, ever. It'll always be very much led from an authentic, truthful place. So, yeah. I have no intention as the CEO of this charity of reinventing the wheel. It's a stupid idea. Yeah. I just want to recalibrate the wheel for bush conditions. Yeah. Right? So we've already got an amazing array of national charities that people can go to, e.g. Hello Sunday Morning, e.g. Smart Recovery, e.g. Alcoholics Anonymous, whatever. So my job, as I see it, right, in this charity is to bring people into the fold let them know this is a space for you if you don't feel like you belong anywhere. No one's created a space for bush people in this battle, yeah. in this demographic. So here's your space. Here's your hub. We've got a peer platform over here. As I said, that's home to 700 people after two years. It started off with seven. Wow. Um, we're impacting, I don't know, tens of thousands on the social media. Um. At this point, we are developing a brand new platform so that our private group can morph into a much more secure, user-friendly place where they can be anonymous because Australia in the bush is tiny yeah. and people are starting to know the other people in the Facebook group. Yeah. And it's like, oh, shit, this person knows that one who's married to this one's cousin and whoop, all right. <laughs> So we, we, can, uh, we can hardly keep up with it. So we're madly working in the back blocks to create a new platform so that our same rural tribe can just transition to a slightly more secure yep. space, right? Yep. So it's peer support. It's just peer support. If people need more than that, which they do, yeah. within our network, we're just bringing in, like when you've lived and breathed and eaten and slept recovery literature and books and podcasts and, and, and charities for six years, you know who's doing what, you know who's legit and who's not. Yeah. So I just bring all of those resources in and my job as the CEO is to go out there and speak with Jack or Hello Sunday Morning or, you know, Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education with the Australian Drug Foundation. Yeah. And I connect with them all. So we are now actually really strongly aligned with all of these key players. Yeah, awesome. And our approach is we are here to collaborate. Can we please suggest you as a resource? Can we maybe work with you in this way or that way? It's, it's not competitive. We are all about sharing, passing it on the charity. It's not That's about a breath of fresh air. <laughs> oh, mate, I, I, don't, I don't understand. Yeah, like... And there are people who won't play nice in the charity space. <laughs> Tell me. And I've had a couple of experiences recently where I was like, oh, all righty, note to self, that guy is off my Christmas card list. Um, <laughs> but if, you know, so we are collaborative at heart. Yeah. We, we oh, our care, like our primary job is to get people to the places that they need to go to get the help that makes sense to them. So the yeah. more resources, the better. So again, we're not saying we, okay, guys, we've got a program that we've developed from the ground up. No, we don't. We don't need to because they've already been done. Yeah. But we've cracked this convo open in the bush because we're yep. the people who make sense to bush people. Then they feel safe. Then they come in the door. Then they go through the gate. Then they see that they're not alone. Then they go, oh, shit, this is amazing. Yep. There's a whole community of us. Hey. And so you'll see the interaction in the group might be somebody going, Hi guys, I'm you here. I'm Jack from out 
whoop, whoop, and um, I found that my drinking's getting a bit hectic and I don't know if I should cut back or moderate. What do you think? And then, bam, all these other bushes. <laughs> yeah, mate, I fully understand you. And it's just this incredible community of rural people looking after rural people, talking the same talk, walking the same walk, facing the same challenges, laser focused for them, right? Because nobody does that. Yeah. Um, and if people are needing above and beyond that, like I said, we refer them on to the government funded ones, um, whatever's going on. So we have the peer support. We have the kind of everyday educational face of the charity, which is yours truly just delivering information yep. as it comes out of my head, through my heart, onto the page, real talk. Yep. Um, collaborations. Um, there's myself. I, I've, I was booked up to Travel Australia the whole of 2020 until COVID. So when travel is back on the cards, I will be again, you know, going and delivering keynotes. Awesome. Could be in corporate life, could be in rural communities, could be at the opera house. Um, mate, I do whatever I can with whatever I've got. We have a, a big merch range now. People I was gonna, are- I was gonna <laughs> ask about that because everybody listening, I want, I want them to go and buy some, uh, <laughs> buy some t-shirts and the hats. I love the hats. <laughs> So do you guys have those in the city? No. Oh, my God. I'm just going to wait there. I'm going to grab one because so this is really funny, Jack. For the uninitiated, these are called trucker caps. Everyone knows what a trucker cap is. Yeah. In the bush, all the cool kids are wearing these and only these. So I shamelessly spent a fortune on getting these done because I knew they wouldn't wear anything else. (laughs) Don't ask me why. I've got no idea where it started or how it began. Allow me to introduce the double-striped high-profile trucker cap with a mesh back. How good is the logo as well? Oh, thank you. Very simple, hey? Yeah. The little it. orange bit represents sunrise without a hangover. Love it. Love <laughs> it. Um, we have a new range of caps. Anyway, the point is all the cool kids in the bush are wearing these and they can't, I can't keep up with them. So um, we got the very best because I can't stand those caps that collapse yeah. after the <laughs> But yeah, these ridiculous caps are going off like frogs in a sock, which is awesome. Um, and again, like anything to do with the charity, it's not about profit. It's about awareness. Yep. Yep. So yep. we don't make a whole lot of money out of this, um, but our merch is going really well. So yeah, on the on the Sober in the Country website, you can go to the merch page and you can scroll around. We've got these great T-shirts and long sleeve tees and singlets and caps now. And they're just very simple, very clean classic and as we say you know whether you yourself are sober in the country or you're supporting a mate who is rock this out and just show that it's like wearing a pink shirt for McGrath you know foundation day you're just showing your support for your mates who can't have a drink love it but oh it's pretty simple stuff so everybody that's listening and watching (laughs) go buy one of those because (laughs) you're not only supporting shana and the charity um to you know keep going and do more stuff you're actually breaking stigma and raising awareness at the same time that's it mate we're just chipping away at this and chipping away and all of a sudden we're chipping a big old dent in it and and yeah look we as i said we're not we're independent we're not government funded we are here by the (laughs) grace of the generous hearts of a couple of very amazing philanthropic organisations, including yep. the Snow Foundation and the Yugalbar Foundation, um, who I will shamelessly plug because I just adore them and their generous hearts are just amazing people with Country Connections as well, which is even more special. 
and um, yeah, some people within the community are chipping in now and our merch. So whatever comes in through those sources is used to pay a minimum wage to this workaholic <laughs> <laughs> um, and to just keep us ticking along, you know. So um, yeah, if someone listening resonates with this and wants to support us, you can go to the website. There's a donate button. Um, Awesome. It's all set up. We're tax deductible. It's like bang, bang, online, done, back on your bike. Yeah. Um, I'm so pretty good. shit at asking for money, but if anyone wants to help, that would be awesome because we are doing what these people need us to do. Yeah, love it. So good. So to finish up, um, I want to I wanna ask you because we're all about, uh, you know, putting it out there and, and letting it happen on the show. Um mm manifesting the reality that you want if you like so what's the what's the five-year kind of vision for sober in the country where do you where do you want to be what what's the what's the end game to all of this there is something really massive in the pipeline on pipeline pipeline it's like a pipe lemon except a lime (laughs) pipeline which is i can't say because it's too huge and exciting and i don't want anyone to steal it yeah there is an amazing project in the pipeline um in five years, though, to be honest with you, Jack, I want ambassadors. I want trained people yep. who can facilitate Zooms in the country nationally. I yep. want sober in the country to be the go-to place for people, whether they're wanting to cut back or quit. I want to retain these incredible alliances with all of these amazing bodies and charities and people. And I want every single person in the bush to know they're not alone. Yep. If they've identified they're in a spot of bother with the old booze. Yeah. And I don't want to see anyone else slipping through the cracks. So that's the big goal. But in the background, we're going to be creating sober conferences yep. for rural people. And awesome. anyone who's ever been to rural conferences will know they're all about being pissed. <laughs> um, and I was the worst, just saying. Um, um, refining our tri- our bush tribe platform. So it's schmick. Yep. Always seeking collaborations with you know funders and amazing humans who want to get in the trenches with us and get this done. Um, a book is on the horizon. Awesome. Um, oh God. Um, media content. Um, you know what, Jack, one day when I'm long gone, um, I want this to be a legacy that keeps going. Yeah. I just want to, I want this to be set up for life so that when I'm too old and tired to do the crazy hours I'm doing now, I want there to be structures in place so that this remains a legacy in the bush. Love you know? it. Yeah. Love it. So good. Um, well, for everybody listening, uh, Shana Wan and is that you, right? Wan? Shana Wan. <laughs> Shana Wan. <laughs> Bloody hell. There Leave you go. There. Leave it in there. Don't edit it out. That, oh my God. See, that's that's memorable for everyone. So oh. sober in the country, go and support <laughs> it. Um, you just heard the vision. If you like what you're hearing and everything that these guys are doing, um, please go and support, buy shitloads of merch and um, get behind it and make it happen. Um, you're an absolute star, mate. I really appreciate it. Um, and yeah, I wish you all the best because it's going to help so many people. Oh, thank you, Jack. And um, thank you so much. This is a long interview and I know it's really <laughs> No, no, it's like, I love it, right? It's my passion, but for you to give me all your time and energy, it's huge. Um, so thank you for the honour. And, um, you know, to wrap up, if someone out there is resonating, don't you dare give up. Don't you give up hope. 
Love it. You know, Love don't it. ever give up hope because you know and I know that recovery happens and there's so much hope. And, and just before I turn the recording off, can you just reel off the um, different places where people can find, find you guys? Yeah, yeah. So basic, probably the easiest thing is if people just go to our website, soberinthecountry.org, and all of our socials are linked. If yep. you want to flick us a message, do it through the website. Um, you, you can follow. I'm, I'm an Instagram fan. I'm, <laughs> the photographer and journalist in me is forever uploading cool things from all over Australia. Just come visit, come interact. Come join our rural tribe if you're a bushy listening and you're like, that's exactly where I need to be. Come join us. And if that's not you, we can flick you off into all sorts of other wonderful directions and love you rotten regardless. <laughs> all awesome. are welcome. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Jack. So Thank good, you. mate. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>